Well, Pastor Jack and Pam says hello all the way from Sparrow Pond Fellowship. They are with Pastor Scott and Stephanie today and ministering with, or not ministering with them, but sharing in the church service there. But they wanted to be sure and let you know that they miss being here and that they will keep you in their prayers. My wife thought I was going to come out this door before I started preaching. I wanted to actually sit down there and hear somebody say, here's Pastor Don, and come running up the runway. Well, since neither one of those worked out, uh, I just decided to use the steps, and here I am. But you know, this is Sunday, and it's the end of Thanksgiving, but probably some of you already are aware that tomorrow is our national holiday, the first day of hunting. It's come to my attention that whether it's what they're feeding on or just the wisdom of running through the woods all of their life, it's come to my attention that deer are becoming more intelligent. And they have studied hunters, they have learned how to maneuver and manipulate. And so if you're planning on going hunting tomorrow, I just want to put you on alert that uh, deers are, deer is becoming more intelligent and uh, you just have to be on the lookout and uh, take a look up at the screen. We don't want you ending up like that. And I've, I've had a deer for a number of years, and I'm one of those hunters who probably enjoy more being out in the open than I do actually killing a deer. And so there have been times where I have been drowsy and I've drifted off. And we know if you're hunting deer, you have to be alert. You have to eat all your carrots before you go out so it affects your eyes. And you have to stay awake and you have to be on the lookout because there have been times that deer have actually probably walked right under my deer stand. And if you're not alert and if you're not awake, this is what could happen. Get my drift? All right. We do, <laughs> we do trust for safety of hunters and uh, know that many of them, that's a sport they enjoy and they enjoy the food and all those good kind of things. So if you think about it tomorrow, just pray a prayer of safety over those who are hunting. I need you to do something with me this morning, and I need to be to be a collective effort. I need everyone to be involved. And... Remember back when we were younger, there were a couple of games that we liked to play when we were kids. One was follow the leader, and the other one was Simon Says. How many remember that game, Simon Says? Okay. What I want you to do this morning is I want you to work with me on this and cooperate because we're going to play Simon Says. And here's what I want you to do. I'm Simon. See, that's why I get to be Simon. I'm up here. So I get to be Simon. 
So when, we, when we're getting ready to start in just a moment, and I want you to, as, as Simon says, you're going to follow along with the directions. I'm not going to do anything to make you look foolish or silly or embarrass you in any way, but it fits into, believe it or not, part of my sermon today. If you've looked at the bulletin, the title of the message is Simon Says. So are you ready? Nudge your neighbor, make sure they're awake. Here we go. Simon Says, stand up. Simon says, raise your left hand. For some of you, that's your other left hand. (laughs) Simon says, put your left hand down. Simon says, raise your right hand. Simon says, wave your hand. Simon says, stop waving your hand. Simon says, put your right hand down. Fantastic. You guys are are great followers. You may be seated. Woo! Simon says the rest of you may be seated. Oh, my. Believe it or not, we have all become followers of something in our life. And you may have been thinking, this is silly, it's ridiculous, how does it really apply? Well, you saw how that it applied because sometimes we just don't listen real close in following directions. And whether it has been over the Thanksgiving days of following a recipe, perhaps you are a follower of a sports team, just be sure it's a team that's going somewhere. I won't name names. I leave that to pastor. I won't name names. If you've been driving across the country, you have followed perhaps the directions of a map. Perhaps you are following the stock market. Perhaps you're following a music group. But somewhere in our life, we all become followers. We find in Scripture today, in in, uh, Luke chapter 5, there's a story that I'm going to share with you. It's not a hunting story, it's a fishing story. And it's a story about when Jesus was coming to the Sea of Galilee. Now, in that particular setting, we understand that the Sea of Galilee was one of the primary seas that was talked the most about in Scripture. If you've ever been to the Holy Land and know Pastor John and Celeste, I'm sure you were at the Sea of Galilee. And it's depending on who your guide is or what book you're reading, uh, the, the numbers vary just a little bit. But the Sea of Galilee is not a vast, humongous sea. It's anywhere from six to eight miles at its widest point, east to west. It's about 12 to 13 miles in length. Uh, it is 700 feet below sea level, the Mediterranean Sea, which is about 30 miles away. There is, a, there is a mountain range that ranges anywhere from about 
13 to 1500 feet, all the way up to 3000 plus feet that surrounds the Sea of Galilee. Great things happened on that sea. A lot of miracles happened. A lot of stories, when you read in the New Testament, are, are interwoven around and about the Sea of Galilee. We find Jesus here at the Sea of Galilee, and He's just about to surround Himself with a group of people that is going to be His disciples. Jesus is in the process of building His kingdom, and it's a great challenge. And he can't do it by himself. He needs somebody to help him. And he's just uh, getting ready to develop the process of choosing those who is going to follow him. Now, around here at Erie First, we use that phrase a lot, becoming a follower of Jesus. But when pastor asked me to preach this morning, it stuck into my mind. And I began to just dwell on it and meditate and think about it and put it all together. And my, the question that came to me is this. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Now, we love it when, when we give the responses and people come to the front, they want to be a follower of Jesus, and they pray the sinner's prayer, they move into the choir room, we give them instructions, we encourage them, we give them pathways to begin to start on this journey. And then invariably there's a number of people that between that connect in the choir room and the actual following of Jesus, there seems to become a disconnect. So what does it really mean? And what I'm going to share with you this morning is basically there are five tests of, of being a follower of Jesus. And I know that most of us here do not like tests. I never liked tests when I was in school. The best part of the test was when it was done. And I remember even when I was younger, and they would even be giving a quiz I didn't know the answers, but the interesting thing was when the teacher, she's, I'm, I'm going to give you 10 questions and I want you to answer them and then raise your hand when you're done. And so knowing that I wasn't going to be called on, I would wait just for a little while and I'd raise my hand. It's like, I'm done. And, and that worked a few classes. And then she would say, how many of you got them all correct. Well, I wouldn't raise my hand on that one, but she said, how many of you got nine correct? Raise my hand. Because I knew I could be a part and yet be anonymous. And that worked for a few classes until she said, Don, what answer did you get for number five? And I, I'm quick on my feet. I said, well, that's the one I missed. <laughs> I never cared for tests. And, and you and I are no different as we get older and as we grow and mature. We still don't like tests. Going to the doctor, going to the hospital, tests just are not, it's not an easy word in our vocabulary. But I have five tests for us this morning, and you're going to be sitting here saying, well, I've passed this one, I've passed this. That's okay. Because if you've passed that test, just turn and tap your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. That usually works. But there's five tests there that, that I want us to take a look at. And it's centered around this story of Jesus coming to the Sea of Galilee, meeting Simon Peter. And there's an anchor statement that Peter makes in here that I trust that will stay with us for the rest of our life. The first test is this. It's the willingness to act test. The willingness to act. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 3 these are the words. 
he got into one of the boats, being Jesus, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him, and that's important, that word ask, he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now here's what's taking place. Jesus is not testing his theology, his intelligence, or his character. All he's asking Simon to do is help bring a solution to a problem. The people were thronging around to hear Jesus. He was being pushed farther and farther into the water. He had a problem. He needed a solution. He needed somebody that had a willingness to act. And so he said to Simon, Simon, I'm going to get in your boat and and I want you to push out a little from shore. Now, Peter could have responded like perhaps some of us would. Solve your own problem. Or he could have said, I don't want to get involved. Or he could have said, Jesus, just send them home. (laughs) That'll solve all the problems. Just send them home. But in this test of willingness to act, Peter passed the first test. And, and as God was, as Jesus was bringing this to uh, uh, the, the problem and a solution to the problem, Peter had passed the first test, and this began the very first criteria of becoming a leader. If you're going to become a leader, you need to build a team. And this is what Jesus was doing. We have a lot of teams around this church. We have teams that do picnics and we have teams that do car shows and we have teams that go to Nicaragua and Little White House and we have teams that usher and the greet and uh, we have teams that do Royal Family Kids Camp. We have a lot of teams. And I can tell you the effectiveness of that team depends on the people that the leader brings around them and that the leader develops. Here's the thing. The caution is this. Sometimes action-oriented people get impulsive. Remember Peter cutting off the soldier's ear? Peter was a great guy. He, Peter was probably not that I'm like Peter or not that I'm similar to Peter, but, but Peter had that certain impulsiveness, like here's the thing and this is what I'm going to do. And so oftentimes when we are looking for somebody to work with us or somebody to be a part of the kingdom of God or the church ministry or or, uh, an outreach that's going on, we are looking for people who are willing to act. See, people who are willing to act stay off of the FBPO list. And if you happen to remember one of my sermons several, probably a few years ago now, the FBPO list is for burial purposes only. That means those who have come and just they attend and they sit and they soak and they observe and they listen, but never get involved, never willing to act, and someday, should everybody live long enough, we'll bury them. But when we become a follower of Jesus, that's not good enough. Because what He is looking for is a people who are willing to act, a people who are willing to follow Uh, People who are willing to say, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, God, whatever you're speaking into my heart, this is what I'm going to do because I want to be a person of action. So my question to you this morning is this, friends. Are you willing 
to act. That's the first test. And Peter passed that test. Then he came to the second test. The second test is this. The willingness to follow directions. In verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said... Now notice the first test he asked him. The second test he commanded him. He said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And I want to stop just for a moment and I want us to look at that word deep. Because it only makes sense to me as a young kid growing up when I learned how to swim. I knew that if I went into the deep water, I would have to know how to swim. And when we go into the deeper things of God, there's some things we're going to have to know. There's some things we're going to have to do. There's some things that's going to have to be a part of our our discipline if we plan to go deep with God. But here he was, now on the edge of the water, and now Jesus says, I want you to put out or launch out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. That word deep tells us that if we're not careful we become comfortable and content fishing close to the shore. Now, what does that mean? That means that on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, we open these doors. The worship team is already rehearsed. You come in. We sit down. We have the preliminaries and we have all of the things that go on in the service. Pastor gets up and delivers his message and we hope that somebody has walked in our front doors that may just need to become a follower of Jesus. And we hope that somewhere in the service they will make that decision. That's called fishing close to the shoreline. And that, the reason that that is so difficult is the same similarity with fishing. That when you fish close to the shoreline, the water is more shallow. There are less fish the less opportunity to make a catch. But you launch out and you get into deeper water and you now are able to get bigger fish. So here's this thing that that we need to move away from in our thinking is if we just have a service on Sunday and stay close to the shoreline, we're going to fill our nets with those who need to become followers of Jesus. And it, it doesn't stand to reason because when people come in these doors, they know... We're trying to catch them. So they're going to be on the lookout. They're they're going to be tenuous. They're going to be a little sensitive. They're going to be maybe a little bit defensive. And so how do we do this? How do we get more followers of Jesus? We move out from the shoreline and we go out into the deep. We go out into the places where the fish are. And that's why you hear us uh, around First Assembly here so many times talk about going to Nicaragua going to Washington, D.C., going to the community, going to the Erie City Mission, going to the prison, going to the homeless, going to where those people are that have needs. And that's that whole willingness to follow directions. Now, here's the thing about people who are wanting to follow directions. High-energy people create a lot of action. They just don't follow anybody's orders see this is what this is a little bit of what jesus was dealing with and this is what we deal with on a regular basis and perhaps you are in that position to where you're saying okay pastor don i'm willing to act and i'm willing to follow 
what I want to do. It doesn't work that way. That's why we have leadership and we have those in position of leadership and we have those who train and those who work with us because there has to be a willingness to follow direction. And usually high energy people create a lot of action. They just won't follow anyone's orders. You see, it becomes all about their activity, but not about submission. In other words, yeah, here's something I want to do in the church. So give me this a position, give me this place to work in the body of Christ, but just then leave me alone. I don't want to be accountable. I don't want to learn. I don't want to be responsible to, to turn in reports or anything. Just leave me alone and let me go at it. But becoming a follower of Jesus says that not only we have to have a willingness to act, but we have to have a willingness of following directions. You say, well, how does that apply? I'm, I'm, not, I'm missing it here. On, I come on Sunday morning. How am I missing that? Well, we miss it because we fail to see the directions given to us every Sunday. From the very beginning, whether it's Jenny or whether it's Mark, they come and they open up and they welcome and they greet and they say, let's stand together and just begin to worship God. That's a direction. That's a direction. And pastor will come up and he will talk about this or that or he will say, I want you to greet someone or I want you to pray for someone or maybe we will give a call for those who want to be a follower of Jesus. Those are directions. Or he may be talking about something that we're doing in the community and it's an outreach and we need volunteers and there's sign-ups in the West Service Center and immediately following the service we want you to go out and we want you to sign up and be a part of this great ministry. Those are directions. See, and we miss that. It kind of it just moves over our head. But to be a true follower of Jesus, that's a test. And we have to understand it's important that it's not about our activity. It's about our submission. Because you've learned in our teachings of under authority, there's a tremendous difference between obedience and submission. Obedience has to do with our actions. Submission has to do with our attitude. We can actually be obedient and not be submissive. So we come to this place of being a follower of Jesus. And this is what we want to do. This is our desire. We make that initial commitment. And then these tests are laid out before us. Much like what Jesus is giving with Peter. He's giving him a test one at a time. Peter's response was this. We've fished all night. In other words, what he's saying is, I know, what, I know you want me to follow directions, but in the, if, if I paraphrase it, Peter is saying, Jesus, I'm sure you know a lot about spiritual things. I'm sure you know about turning water into wine and raising the dead and taking some saliva and some dirt and put it on the eyes of the blind and he's healed. And I'm sure you know about spiritual things, but Jesus, I got to tell you, I'm the fisherman. I I know about this stuff. And so he says, Jesus, we have we have fished all night. But here's the anchor response that I want us to get this morning, friends, because it connects us in being a follower of Jesus. We have fished all night. But because you say so, I will. 
See how simple that is? We fished all night, but because you say so, I will. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't connect with my reasoning. I don't see the value in it. But because you say so, I will. Now, I'm probably reading some of your minds. You're sitting there saying, Pastor Don, are you saying that we should just come into this church and do everything that everybody says? No. Because somebody will tell you something to do that's not right. But there is a trust in leadership. There's a trust in your pastor. And, and, and people can say, well, okay, I'm, all, I'm already ahead of you because here's the deal. If I hear God say to me to do something, then I will do it. But if I don't hear Him say anything to me, then I'm not going to do it. Well, can I let you in on a little secret? God speaks in more ways than just being audible. He gives us the written word. He gives us the spoken word. But God also speaks through people, through circumstances, and situations. And if you have trusted the leadership of your pastor, and he stands here and says, friends, this is what we're going to do, and we need your help, we need everyone to be a part, we need everyone to participate, you have heard from God. Because God has given your pastor the direction and the vision of this church, and when it's coming forth as a challenge, or it's coming forth as an invitation to become involved, that's God speaking. And that the light bulb may have just come on for some of us because we've been sitting here for umpteen years saying, if I just hear God audibly tell me to do it, then I will. But friends, whether it's pastor speaking from the platform, whether it's opportunities in your bulletin, whether it's vision casting that's being given on Sunday mornings, that's God. See, that's God's vision for this church. That's God's opportunity for you and for me to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. So here's this whole test of willingness to follow directions. And Peter said, we fished all night, but because you say so, I will. The question for you and I today is this. Will you become a servant on the job? Will you become the priest of your home? Will you become the parents that God has designed for you to be? Will you become that husband and that wife that God is designing you to be and taking you on that journey? Will you become a servant at home? Will you become a servant on the job? Will you become a servant at the church? Just serve. Just serve. You say, but Pastor Don, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting this. I'm not talented. I'm not gifted. I don't... Oh, yes, you are. Oh, yes, you are. Because, see, Scripture says that God has given all of us talents and abilities. You see, yeah, but my talent, my gift, it's not very big. It's not going to make it on the marquee. It's not, I'm not going to be in headlights. That's not what it's about. It's about the willingness to follow directions. The second question for you and I is this. Will you manage your money God's way? So, oh, now I can tell you, I haven't heard God on that one. 
<laughs> I haven't heard him on when it talks about money. Oh, yes, we have. We hear it when Pastor John or Pastor Dan or myself or Pastor Jason or Pastor Jack gets up and talks about more blessed to give and receive and talks about stewardship. That's God speaking. And we miss it. And so therefore we miss the question, am I willing to manage my money God's way? And here's the thing, friends. The application is this. Because you say so, I will. It's not because of my success, but in spite of my failure, God, I will do what you're telling me to do because I am obedient to your word. And history in, in Bible is the history is filled with great things that have happened. And at this point in Peter's life, his faith rested on Christ's command. That's all we need to know. You say, well, I need to know the outcome. No, we don't. I need to know the solution. No, we don't. I need to know what the bottom line. No, we don't. The only thing you and I need to know in being a follower of Jesus is knowing that God has given us a command, a challenge, a direction. We follow that direction and the rest is in God's hands. Now, if you're here today and you have an analytical personality, uh, if, if you're one that has to know everything before you start, we probably never get started. But when we go through Scripture, we look at, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to emphasize this at thy word. At thy word, creation came into existence. At thy word, the stars were flung into space. At thy word, the sun was put in its place. At thy word, creation began to fill this earth. At thy word, man and woman was created and created by God. At thy word, Noah built an ark. A hundred and twenty years and no rain. And yet Noah is saying, God, I haven't had rain in a hundred and twenty years here. It's never rained. What do you mean? But he says, nevertheless, at thy word. I'm going to start getting my tools and lumber. And I'm going to start building a boat. Why? God, because you've said so. At thy word. At thy word, Abraham left his homeland. At thy word, Abraham took his son Isaac into the wilderness. At thy word, he raised up his knife. And at thy word, he placed it back in his sheath. Because God was saying he would provide a sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb for the sins of the world. At thy word, Moses began through the Red Sea. At thy word, Joshua walked around the walls of Jericho. At thy word, Lazarus was raised from the dead. At thy word, the wind and the seas obeyed Jesus. There's power in the word of God. And God is saying to us today, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we must be willing to follow directions at thy word. And Peter did that. See, it's kind of like our kids and how they respond to us in the home. You all have kids like this, like mine, right? When they were growing up, Kirby, I need you to go clean up your room. Yes, Father. <laughs> At thy word, I shall go. 
Nathan, I need you to help me clean out the garage. Well, Dad, I'm in the middle of a television program, and, and it's, it, it's the fourth quarter, and, but nevertheless, Father, at thy word, I will shut off the television, and I will go. Maybe your kids were different. Those are just mine. But you see, the same difficulties and challenges we faced in parenting our children. Because when we would say to them, whether it's clean up the room or do your homework or help me with the garage or mow the yard, we get the same responses. Uh, but I'm in the middle of a program and I'm in the middle of my video game and I'm on the phone talking to somebody and hold on just a minute and give me some time and I'll do it later. And all of the excuses that we have heard in parenting, we have sent up to God when he has said, follow my direction. Second test. Tough test. The third test is this. If we have a willingness to act, we have a willingness to follow directions. The third test is this. We have to ask ourselves, who deserves the credit? Hmm. All right, I'll sign up, but you better be sure my name gets mentioned Sunday morning from the platform. It's been said before, it's amazing how much we can do in the kingdom of God if we don't care who gets the credit. You see, who deserves the credit hinges on our attitude and hinges on our priorities. In verse 8 through 10, it reads this way. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. He was amazed at what had happened because he had done nothing except become obedient. We get that a lot in ministry. We work hard from Pastor Jack all the way down through staff. We work hard at not allowing ourselves to be placed on pedestals. We work hard at letting people know how important they are and how valuable they are. We work hard at, at, at spreading the credit around. And that's why when we do something such as a picnic or we do a car show or we do a missions outreach week, there's some of those things that come through my office and I'll get people coming and say, Oh, Pastor Don, that was, that was great, that was great, that was great. Or we do something like the thing, one day Thanksgiving baskets and a very, very much of a success. In fact, I, I have to sh just share something with you this morning. We passed out those baskets on Monday and Monday afternoon we begin receiving calls just saying thank you, thank you, thank you. And because my name was on the letter that we, we sent along with those, most of them would call and say, tell Pastor Don thank you for... And, 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 and those were coming in. One lady said, my, my uh, husband's wife had passed away the end of October. And I wanted to have uh, him and the daughter over to our house for a Thanksgiving dinner. But we just really didn't have any food. And we didn't have the money to buy any food. But she said, thanks to Erie First Assembly, we now are going to be able to have them over for Thanksgiving dinner and also have some leftovers. 
And we were getting those kind of calls simply because of what we did on the one-day Thanksgiving baskets. But i got to tell you, it's no credit to me. We, we worked through some of the preliminaries, but we had over 130 volunteers. We had people driving truck. We had people packing. We had people in and out, people loading cars. It, it was all of that team. See, that's a whole team thing. So it was no credit to me. It's just something that we initiated, but the team together worked great. And for those of you that helped us, that hand clap was for you. And that one's for me. <laughs> and around here, from time to time, we do Christmas musicals and and we, we just, it's just a fantastic opportunity and outreach. And sometimes, I don't know, eight, ten, nine thousand people come through here. And, and the sets are great and the work is great and all of the input. And, and Bob Henniger does a fantastic job of putting all this together and his ideas and things. And after the musical, they may come up and say, Oh, Bob, oh, Bob. This was great. This was fantastic. This was great. And, you know, it, it's just like, let's just, Skip the election and make Bob Henniger mayor of Erie. And it's a great thing. But Bob would tell you, without the hundreds of volunteers, without the carpenters and the painters and the assistant producers and the people that sing and the people that act and the people that help with publications, if it hadn't been for all of these people and the team that's surrounding him, he'd just be plain old Bob. See, it's about not being concerned who gets the credit. That's the third test. Because, you see, our human nature is to find a way to claim the credit. Our natural response is, I'm really smart. I create my own destiny. In fact, i got to be honest with you. I'm just a great guy. When the bottom line is, in Peter's response, he says, go away from me, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. See, he recognized who he was within himself. He recognized that within himself, he really wasn't anything. Yet Jesus saw the potential. He saw the capability of being something more than just Simon who catching fish. And now we put this all together and Peter is saying, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. In other words, you have so much power and authority. You're sovereign. And I know who I am. And that's probably what stops a lot of us from becoming true followers of Jesus. Because we know ourselves better than anyone else. And we think of ourselves and we think, oh, I'm a rotten cuss. I'm just a rotten guy. Oh, if you knew, if you only knew. But the thing is, God knows. And for some reason that we cannot rationalize, God still taps us on the shoulder and says, I want to use you. I want you to be active. I want you to be a part. I want you to do kind of what we did in the beginning of this ser sermon when I said, Simon says, and everybody stood up. That's the way it ought to be every time. We have an opportunity of ministry. When we say we need volunteers, 
boom. There ought to be a mass standing of saying, whatever you, you want me to do, this is what I'll do. See, that's a test. Who deserves the credit? Then there's a fourth test, and this is the test of greater vision. This is the test of greater vision. In the 10th verse, Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, because from now on you will catch men. Up until this time, it was just about fish. Now Jesus is taking him into the deeper water, and he says, Don't be afraid, because from this time on you'll catch men. Here's my question for us today. What would it be like to catch or redirect the lives and eternities of thousands of people? Think with me just a moment, friends. What would it be like if you had the opportunity to redirect the lives and eternities of thousands of people? Say, well, Don... Don't you know that only God can change and only God can read? I understand that. But someone has to make the initial contact. Someone has to make the initial conversation. Someone has to make that initial connection. And I'm just asking you today, how would it make you feel to know that you have had the opportunity to change the destiny of thousands of people? That's really what God's calling us to do. It really is. When we become a follower of Jesus, we start a journey, we move through on our pathway, and He brings us into the lives of people around us, our family, our friends, our co-workers, those within the community. He gives us opportunity to change the destiny of a person. How awesome is that? How great is that opportunity? Because Jesus is saying this. In essence, He's saying this. You can continue to catch fish for dollars or you can help change people's destinies. What will it be? You say, well, I just work in the marketplace. Great place to be. See, your ministry in the marketplace, it tells me that your job matters. That your job has value. That your job provides an income. Your job provides an opportunity, a platform, an open door, if you will, for you to touch other people's lives who need to know about this man we call Jesus. It provides that opportunity, and for some of you, that's your calling. So, well, I don't feel significant because I just have never been called to preach. I don't feel so significant because I've never been called to, to pastor. Well, can I kind of give you some insight on that? Sometimes it's really not all that great. Sometimes it's just, sometimes as pastors, we have to go back to that same attitude and response that Peter had is, God, I've pastored and I've preached half of my life and I don't want to do it anymore. But nevertheless, at your word, I get up on Monday morning and I go at it again because that's what you've called me to do. And, and somewhere we have glorified position. Somewhere we've glorified this whole position thing 
and, 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 and felt as though that because I'm not here on this platform with spotlights in my eyes and, and a microphone around my ear, that, that I'm just, I, I'm insignificant. But I've got to tell you this morning, every one of us in this building is valuable to God. Every one of us are people who has the opportunity to change the destiny of thousands of people around us every day. And to be a follower of Jesus, we have to catch that greater vision. See, here's the thing. If the affection of our heart is more about dollars than destinies, we have yet to catch the greater vision. If the affection of our heart is more about dollars than destinies, we have yet to catch the greater vision. Say, but but Don, why are you preaching this information to this church who most of us come here every Sunday? Friends, let me tell you why it's so passionate with me. I'm not I'm not trying to scare you, but all I'm saying is this. All you have to do is read the papers, watch the news, and you realize that the coming of Jesus Christ is very, very soon. You couple that with the fact that every three seconds, someone in this world takes their last breath. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. Someone just went into eternity. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. Someone else just went into eternity. You put together that with the fact that 6,000 children in Africa die every day because of lack of water and malnutrition. And you begin to build those numbers, everything from rescuing children to the homeless to the abused. And can you catch with me just a small glimpse of how much there is to do before Jesus comes back? How many people's lives that need to be changed? How many destinies need to be redirected? And the only tool that Jesus has is the same tool He used on the Sea of Galilee when He began to call Peter, James, and John and the twelve and the seventy and the five hundred and He ascended to the Father and He said, the works that I've done, even greater works will you do. Friends, the only tool that He has is you and I. That's His church. And He's calling us to become followers so we'll have the willingness to act, the willingness to follow directions, not caring who gets the credit, grabbing a hold of the greater vision and being a follower of Jesus. But if the affection of our heart is more about dollars than destinies, we've yet to catch the greater vision. An example is... Just a side note by a man called, all he's known as, the shoveler. He was asked one day, what do you do for a living? He said, well, I shovel money. I'm in financial institutions every day. For the first half of my life, I just shoveled money into my own wheelbarrow. Just shoveled all the time. And then I met Jesus, and it completely changed my life. My whole value system. But God called me to keep shoveling. And now I just shovel it into another wheelbarrow. I just shovel it into kingdom activities that change people's destinies. But I'm just a shoveler. You see, doesn't care who gets credit, has the willingness to act, follows directions, has caught a greater vision, but he's just a shoveler. 
So the last test that I leave you with this morning is this. It's called the will you leave it all behind test. Will you leave it all behind? Luke chapter 5 verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. What does that look like? Well, I can't speak for you, but I know there have been times in our lives that Barbara and I have had to make some very difficult decisions. The first time before we went into ministry, pastoring full-time, I can't remember all of the words, but we were singing on a Sunday night, and Barbara and I was singing this song, and it was called, Whatever It Takes. Take my houses, my lands, my dreams and my plans. I place my whole life in your hands. If he calls me someday to a land far away, I'll be willing to go. For whatever it takes to be more like you, Lord, that's what I'm willing to do. And as we were singing that song, it hit our hearts. And we sensed that God was calling us to begin in full-time pastoring for Him. And then our home pastor has a guest speaker there. He says, and it's Ron Hembury, and he says, Ron, I want you to pray for Don and Barbara. They're getting ready to go into ministry. And then he prays this great glorious prayer. Dear God, don't let their paths become easy. <laughs> don't let life become easy. But I can tell you time and time again, there are times in our lives that Barbara and I have made decisions. It didn't make sense. There on two specific occasions when we resigned our church, my church board said, so why are you resigning? And all I could say is this, I'm sensing in my heart, this is what God is telling me to do. And they came back with the same response. That's not good enough. We need verifiable facts of why you're resigning. Because the church was well. The relationships were well. Things were good. All we knew was God was saying, follow me. Follow me. And the times that we would resign, we had no place to go. It wasn't that we were jumping from one place to another because it was better. We had no place to go. At those particular times, we would go work in the marketplace. My wife working secretary, I would work in, in, in facilities and services, or I'd help my brother-in-law. In, in, uh, he's a contractor. I would work with him. We had no way of knowing where we were going or what we were doing. But all we heard was this still small voice said, follow me. And we would say, God, we don't understand how, we don't know why, we don't know where. But nevertheless, at thy word, we'll do it. There comes a time in our lives where we have to ask ourselves the question, will we leave it all behind? Now, you can't be sneaky with God. You can't say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say yes because I know he really won't require it of me. And that doesn't work that way. You see, we come to this place in our life. And this is what I believe God is saying. I want you to leave everything you know, everything you've been trained to do. I want you to leave it all. 
I want my hand on your life, and I want you to follow me. And it's going to cost you everything. You say, but that sounds like irresponsive, irresponsibility. No. It doesn't mean to ignore responsibility. Peter, James, and John, these disciples, they still had family. They still had to provide for their families. They still had to provide the responsible way for their wife, their children, their families. But here's the thing. We don't always understand what we're called to, but we know what we're called from. And I stand before you this morning saying on this Thanksgiving weekend that I'm thankful that God has called me from a life of sin. That God has called me from a life that could be going somewhere totally opposite of where He's wanting me to go. I know where He's called me from. I don't always know where He's calling me to. But I know this. My faith rests on His Word. My faith rests on His command. That nevertheless, because you say, I will. I want you to take just a moment this morning. John is going to sing some words to this song for us today. I want you to hear these words. And I want you to ask yourself the question. Do I really want to be a follower of Jesus? Am I willing to act? Can I follow directions? Have I caught the greater vision? Do I care who gets the credit? And am I willing to forsake all and follow Him? John, sing these words for us this morning, and I will come back and dismiss us in just a moment. I can hear my Savior calling. I can hear my Savior calling. I can hear my Savior calling, take thy cross and follow me, so where he leads me I will follow, where he leads me I follow where he leads me I will follow oh I'll go with him with him all the way where he leads me I will follow where he leads
you stand with me this morning? And I know these words are very simple. Maybe you know this chorus. John, sing that chorus with us again. And church, I'm going to ask you to sing that with me. Could that be our prayer today? Let's just sing that together unto the Lord. Where He leads me, I will follow. Where He leads me, I will follow. Where He leads me, I will follow. I'll go with Him, with Him all the way. Here's the thing, church. These five tests that I just shared with you this morning, you don't have to pass these tests. This is not about getting into heaven. It's not about spending eternity in heaven. It's about being a follower of Jesus right here, right now. And you don't have to pass all of these. But who loses in the end? Who loses in the end? Jeremiah 29 and 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I trust that if you've missed everything that I've said this morning, remember that anchor statement that Simon says. You'll remember Simon says, because that was a fun thing. But remember this, Lord, I've toiled all night. I've tried everything I know to do. I've laid awake and tried to figure it out. I've even consulted people around me. I've read books and I've went to seminars and I've tried everything in my ability to figure out what my life is going to look like. But nevertheless, at thy word. I'll step out. And your faith will rest upon God's command. And God will use you to be a blessing. And to maybe even change the destinies of thousands and thousands of people. Father, we thank you this morning that you are so good and so gracious. That you love us so much that you have placed your confidence and trust in us that if we follow you, that we have the opportunity to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, to change the destinies and the lives of thousands of people through your power, through your word. Use us, Lord. Use us for your glory. For it's you deserve the glory. It is you that deserves the honor. It's you that deserves the praise. We get no credit. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. Go with us today, we pray, in all that we do. Watch over us, protect us, guide us. We determine in our hearts that we want to follow You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you and have a great day in the Lord.